the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You see, I think one reason, a main reason why today's evangelical community is so caught up in fighting pagan society and trying to, to, and giving so much energy and time and resources and money into establishing laws based on biblical morality, and they focus so much on boycotts and protests and things like that. And I think one reason is because we've lost the true biblical focus of this is not our home. Do you realize that? This is not our home. This isn't it. We're really out of place here. There is no doubt that we live in a godless society. However, the harder we fight against it, the more godless it will become. Satan is our enemy, not his children. And it is not reform this country needs. It is revival. There can be no revival as long as so many evangelicals alienate the lost by condemning their activities and values while consistently failing to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit by our transformed lives. Our protests and boycotts will never have the effect we want. Instead, they make those whom we should be lovingly reaching with the gospel into our enemies. You're listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is concluding a two-part message that will help us to live godly lives in an ungodly society. Our text is Titus, chapter 3, and Pastor Steve has been going over some of our responsibilities to the government as Christ followers. Let's pick up the lesson at the fifth responsibility. Responsibility number one, we're to submit to the government. Responsibility number two, we are to obey the government. Responsibility number three, do good deeds to those around you. Responsibility number four, malign no one but speak well of them. Responsibility number five, Paul writes, to be uncontentious. To be uncontentious in verse two. Now, what does it mean to be uncontentious? Well, first you have to know what contentious means before you can be uncontentious. To be contentious means simply to quarrel with people, to argue with them, to fight with them, not necessarily physically, but talking about verbally sparring with someone. Therefore, to be uncontentious means to not engage in conflicting arguments, to not argue with people. It means not to be belligerent towards those in society who disagree with us. Now, how many times do we take witnessing opportunities and they become heated debates? How many of you, just, just by a show of hands, have ever had that? You're witnessing to somebody, they disagree with you, and all of a sudden you find yourself arguing with them and really getting upset. Am I the only one who has this? No, there are a few, few else of you, a few others. And uh, maybe others of you either really know the key to witnessing or else you're not witnessing. I don't know. But uh, many witnessing opportunities can often lead to heated debates, and that's wrong. And I'll tell you what it's due to. It's due to our pride. It's due to our pride, not wanting to look bad and foolish and especially ignorant. They say something to us and we don't know how to answer them or we're frustrated because we don't, we don't know how to articulate it. We know what we believe, but we can't quite get it out or, or, or things like that. And we feel backed into a corner and we look foolish and we don't want to appear as ignoramuses. And so we, we really get hot under the collar. 
You know, you can win the battle, you can win an argument, but lose the war. And what is the war here? The war is the struggle over someone's souls. It's all right to let them win the battle. It's all right to look foolish. It's all right to not have all the answers. But don't get into a heated debate because then you've lost your testimony. Then you've lost your testimony and uh, you want to lead them to Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells us that we're to be gentle and uncontentious when we're dealing with the unsaved. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me find it here for you and, and we'll read it. Paul is speaking to Timothy about this very issue of quarrels and debates. And he says in 2 Timothy 2.24, he says, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, and perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So when you're witnessing to somebody or when you're interacting with someone who doesn't know Christ, don't argue. Don't be quarrelsome. Even if you know the answer, even if you, um, if you know that what they're saying is wrong, they want to draw you into a debate often. Some people take great pleasure in this. But we're not to do that. We're not to do that. The issue boils down to, to this. Do you love those enough to not debate them and not have to defend yourself? Do you love those who are unlovely? Can you be kind to those who aren't kind to you? Can you be gentle to those who aren't gentle to you? Do it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Be uncontentious. Which leads us to the, to a next responsibility, to another responsibility. Number six is be gentle. Notice Titus 3.2. It says just gentle. Right after to be uncontentious, gentle. Now, the word gentle can be a little misleading, and you'd be wise to take notes on this. The word gentle really does not capture the essence of what Paul is saying. When we we hear the word gentle, um, oftentimes we we think in our language that that sounds a bit effeminate. Somebody is gentle. Uh, That is really not what Paul is talking about at all. The Greek word carries the idea of a willingness to yield our own personal rights. Uh, better than gentle would be yieldedness. It is translated in another passage, a number of passages, by forbearance. To, and forbearance means to, to not be self-willed, to not stubbornly uh, insist on getting your own way, to give up your rights. That's what Paul is talking about. And maybe that's why they translated it this way, gentle, because a gentleman is, is one who kind of gives up his rights and lets somebody else go first and is very courteous and so forth. But gentle is not really the thought here, not in our, in our language. Uh, a gentle person or a yielding person is one who gives in to others. He bends. He's gracious. He yields his rights without violating any principle of Scripture. Now, why is this so necessary in our relations with people in society? Because people who are pagans in a pagan society are going to mistreat you. That's just a given. They may not mistreat you every day, but they're going to mistreat you. Somewhere, somehow, they're going to do that. They're going to misunderstand you. Even if you have the best of intentions, they're going to misunderstand you. They're going to uh, hold to values that are opposed to yours, values that you may be offended by. They're going to criticize you. And if you are not gentle, if you are not yielding, then you're going to demand to get your own way. And you're going to get frustrated that they can't see your point of view and you will not obey what Paul says to do. And instead of loving these people, you're going to be angry at them. And you won't be able to get along with them and, uh, and let alone be a good witness to them. You can't even get along with them. 
Now, how do we deal with this in our own lives? Because this is where many of us are at. How do we deal with this? How can you and I cultivate a gentle yielding of our rights, a flexibility to, to give in to other people who are bent against biblical values? Let me give you some, some practical suggestions. The first thing you do is realize that you have no rights, only privileges. You have no rights, only privileges. As we've said before many times, the only thing we really deserve is hell. And God, by his grace, offers us heaven in the death of Jesus Christ. So the first thing realize is that you have no rights. Nobody has to treat you a certain way. You have only privileges that are given by God. Secondly, realize that anger is a reaction of a wounded, uh, of wounded pride. Anger is nothing more than a reaction of wounded pride because the attitude of anger is always, how dare they do this to me? How dare they do this to me? How dare they take my parking spot? How dare they take my place in line? How dare they speak to me this way? It's always wounded pride. How dare they not show me respect? Wounded pride. So that's number one, number two. Realize that you have no rights, only privileges. Secondly, realize the real source of the problem is wounded pride. Number three, and for that you need to turn to Philippians chapter four, just a few books back. Philippians chapter four. In Philippians chapter four, Paul is really speaking about worry and and, uh, two women in that church were not getting along with each other and, and they didn't have peace. Let's put it that way. Rather than just worry, they had no peace. There was disunity at the church at Philippi, and two women, Euodia and Syntyche, were at each other's throats, and Paul is telling them how to get along with one another. He's telling how the church, how the churches get along with one another. He's telling them how to, to have victory over worry and to have peace and all that. And then he says, and this is a great verse, verse five, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. That's the word forbearance or gentle or yieldedness. Let it be known to everybody. And then he adds, and this is what I want you to see. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. And then he has this little phrase, the Lord is near. Where did that come from? The Lord is near. Now, he could mean, he could mean one of two things. He could mean the Lord is close by, so don't sweat it. Don't be upset. The Lord is is close by. In fact, he's so close, he lives within you. I don't think, though, I think that's true, but I don't think that's what he means here. What he means here is that, the Lord's coming is soon. He's near. He's nearer than ever. It's, it's getting close to the time of Christ's return. Why do I say that? Because that's the context. He just finished chapter 3, verse 20, by saying this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just a few verses prior to this, he spoke about the return of Christ, waiting for him. Now he says the Lord is near. He's talking about the nearness of Christ's coming. In other words, the Lord's return is so close that when he gets here, he'll deal with all the people who mistreat you. He'll deal with all the people who have walked all over you, exploited you, taken advantage of you, all the people who are hostile towards you. So yield to them now. Yield to them. Bend to them because the Lord is coming. And when he comes, he'll straighten everything out. You see, I think one reason, a main reason why today's evangelical community is so caught up in fighting pagan society and trying to, to and giving so much energy and time and resources and money into establishing laws based on biblical morality, and they focus so much 
on boycotts and protests and things like that. And I think one reason is because we've lost the true biblical focus of this is not our home. Do you realize that? This is not our home. This isn't it. We're really out of place here. We're really out of place here. Our citizenship, as Paul just said in Philippians 3.20, is in heaven. Now, we have a dual citizenship as well. But this is not our real home. And our goal is not to change society and make it more biblical. That's not what we're called to do. Why? Because we are waiting and witnessing and serving the Lord while we wait for him to come. And what will he do when he comes? He will establish a true righteous kingdom, a true utopia, not a false utopia. When he returns, he's going to establish a a true kingdom of true righteousness. Now, does this mean, as we're often accused, and I just want to mention here, does this mean that we're so heavenly minded that we're we're of no earthly good? No, absolutely not. Because Titus 3.1 gives us the balance that we're to be ready for every good work. Yes, we're to be ready to do good works, but not under the, the illusion that our goal is to change society to fit our biblical standards. There will be a society like that. It'll be headed by Jesus Christ. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. It does mean that we don't get hostile because the world acts like the world. But it's not the ultimate world for you. We have another world coming, one in which real righteousness reigns, not where we legislate morality. So how do we respond to ungodly society? Number one, we submit to the government. Two, we obey the government. Three, we do good to people. Number four, we malign no one. Number five, we uh, are not uh, uh, contentious. Number six, we yield our rights. And responsibility number seven is, as Paul says in verse two, the end of verse two, showing consideration or showing every consideration for all men. The Greek word consideration, once again, is not easy to get a handle on. It's been translated many ways. It's been translated meekness. Maybe some of your Bible versions translate it that way. Uh, Humility. It can even be translated mildness. And the thought behind this word is a humble spirit that accepts the insults of people as God's way of purifying us. It's a a humility. It is is the opposite of self-interest. It's very similar to the word that Paul used that we translate gentle or a yielding of rights. But this is the humble attitude that leads to that yielding of rights. This is the attitude you have to have inside before you have the actions outside of yielding your rights. And perhaps the best way to get a handle on this, and it is not easy to get a handle on this word, but the best way to get a handle on this concept of showing consideration or meekness or humility towards others is to realize that Jesus is spoken of as having this virtue. In 2 Corinthians, for example, 2 Corinthians 10.1 Paul says, now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. There's that expression, meekness, consideration of uh, meekness of Christ, humility of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but I'm bold, he said, towards you when absent. He says, I urge you by the humility of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 9.9 is a prophecy of Jesus on his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It was fulfilled when he came into Jerusalem, but it says this in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus Christ is meek and gentle and he's humble. And Matthew 11 
great verse. Matthew 11, verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And that's that word. And then humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. And, and here's the point. Even though Jesus Christ had all authority and all power to wipe out his enemies with one word, he could have done that. One word would have destroyed his enemies. He didn't do that. Why? Because he was humble and he was gentle and he submitted to the will of God. And that's the way we are to be. That's the way we are to be. Rather than retaliate. And, and even though we can say things that are true and, and blast people, we're not to. And you know what's a great verse for this? Would you look at First Peter chapter 3? Great verse for this. Peter tell, is telling people in the midst of hostility, in the midst of a pagan culture that persecuted them. He wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him aside as Lord. Let him reign over your hearts, always being ready to make defense to everyone who asks you. So be ready to witness. Be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to tell people what you believe and give an account for the hope that is in you. But watch this. With gentleness and reverence. One reason why so many of us have a hard time witnessing is, quite frankly, because we're obnoxious. We, we call it, you know, suffering for righteousness sake. But uh, a lot of times it's just because we're harsh with people. We're hard. Peter says, do it with gentleness and do it with reverence. Treat them properly. Treat them with respect. Are you gentle with unbelievers? Think about this. Are you gentle? And I'm not just talking about customers. Everybody's got to be gentle with customers because you want their money. But I'm talking about doing it for the sake of Christ. Are you gentle with unbelievers or are you harsh, hard with them? Do you come across as arrogant with those who disagree with you? Uh, maybe looking down upon them? Maybe uh, a little bit better than they are? Insisting on getting your own way, your own points across? You and I have a responsibility to be gentle, to be humble, to be meek with the lost, because that's the way Jesus Christ was. Now, those are the responsibilities that we've been given. And you and I have a responsibility to put this into practice. Let's bow for prayer. Let's, let's just time as we're quiet before the Lord. You need to respond to the word. You need to do something about this. I need to do something about this. What, what are we going to do? And I, as your eyes are closed, we're quiet before the Lord. Let me just run some thoughts by you, and then I'll give you a few moments to... Speak to the Lord about this. First of all, as a result of what you've heard today, what changes do you need to make? Not a neighbor, not a friend, not a spouse, not a child, not a parent. But what do you need to do? How can you do good, do something good for your community? What is it that you could do? That's just good. It's just right. It, it, it ministers to people. It gives credibility to your witness. What can you do? Hey, you have to balance that. You also have to be involved in the church and fellowship and witnessing. And, but what can you do that's good? Will you pray about it? Will you be open? Will you be alert to doing good? What changes do you need to make in the way you speak about our presidents? And other public figures, you may disagree politically, you may disagree policy-wise, but our president is our president. And those in authority over us have been put in that place by God. What are you going to say positive about them? 
You need to do that. What changes do you need to make? Where do you need to yield your rights? Where have you been insisting on getting your own way? Now, we're not talking about compromising Scripture, never yield on Scripture, never yield on the truth of God's Word, but where do you need to yield your own rights? Where do you need to stop arguing? Where do you need to show humility and genuine humility, not the kind of humility that's proud of your humility, but genuine humility and gentleness in yielding to others? And for those of you who have never trusted Christ, but you know a lot of Christians, or you know a Christian who you you see Christ in them, you've seen their life transformed, what are you going to do about this? You know the reality of Jesus Christ. I want you to know you can be changed too. You can have a new life in Christ. And I, I urge you to accept him. And we invite you to come up after the morning service closes. One of our leaders will be here at the front. And if you'd like to speak to him about trusting Christ or anything you're struggling with spiritually, he's available. We'll take a few moments of silence. Now I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you that your word is direct. Thank you that you don't pull any punches. You tell us what we need to do. But, Lord, we need we need direction and help in how to apply these truths to really be the kind of Christians that we should be, to really um, respond properly to pagan society, to really be a good testimony, Lord. And we know we'll be mistreated. We know at times we'll be misunderstood. We want to do it out of love for Christ and love for people. And we pray that you'll help us to do that. I pray you'll give wisdom to families and individuals to do good, to know um, how they should respond to our presidents and public leaders, to be careful about that, to not go along with the flow of of the evangelical community when they uh, get off into a lot of tangents. And, Father, I, I pray that you'll help us to really yield our rights as well. And thank you for reminding us that we have no rights and that your coming is soon. And there is an age of true righteousness. And thank you for reminding us that uh, there is no uh, righteous government. There is no righteous society. But there is a righteous kingdom coming led by the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who don't know your righteousness, those who have never trusted you, that you'll draw them to yourself. They might know that they have need for salvation because that's the only way a person comes to you if they see a need. And I pray you'll draw them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Quite often, the most successful advertisements are those that feature a customer whose life has been radically improved by a certain product. In the same way, when a life has been transformed by the power of God, that is a tremendous testimony. Sadly, I do not think those testimonies are nearly as common as the ones made by people who claim to be Christ followers, but live just like their unsaved friends and neighbors. St. Augustine advised us to never judge a philosophy by its abuse, but that is just what most people do when they see the unsaved behavior of those who claim the name of Christ. May God help us to never be the cause of someone misjudging not just a philosophy, but a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus. We are glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse. 
Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us in a study from the book of Titus that deals with godly living in a godless society. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes are developed from his messages by Verse by Verse Ministries. Here is Pastor Steve now to tell you how you can keep these classes on your radio. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. There was a man who uh, was in touch with us and said he uh, had come to faith in Christ as a result of the verse-by-verse series that we did on Romans and what it means to be justified by faith. We're trying to have lives changed by the teaching of the Word of God. We think there's no substitute for that. If you've been blessed through verse-by-verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727 727- 441-1714 or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758 That's P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758 You can learn more about us at our website versebyverseradio.org That's versebyverseradio.org Pastor Steve has some biblical truths to share on the next verse-by-verse that will help us relate to the lost in a way that will lend credibility to our testimonies. I'm Jerry Pruden. I hope you can join us then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.